Assalamu alaikum. You're listening to Tech Sisters Stories. Tech Sisters is a community that supports Muslim women in tech through storytelling and sisterhood. My name is Grace, and I get to interview the amazing women in our community, share their stories and the lessons they learned. But first, some quick community announcements. The community health report that has been in the works all quarter, been working super hard on it, is going to be published next Monday, the 14th of March, inshallah. I'm going to do a call presenting it, as well as sharing the PDFs. So if you're interested in learning about who are the tech sisters, what we do, and what we need as a community, check out the link in the description. Second, next week is going to be the very last episode of this season. I think 20 episodes feels like a good place to take a break. Alhamdulillah. I can't believe we got this far, and I'm super grateful to all of our guests, and especially all of you who've listened to every episode especially the ones where it's just been me rambling off. So thank you very much for your patience and for sticking with us for so long. Today's episode with Reem is so, so, so lovely, mashallah. She's absolutely wonderful to talk to, and her mission at Zaka is really wonderful. And I can't wait for you to hear more about her story. Okay, that's enough intro, and let's get on with Reem's interview. Today on Tech Sisters Stories, we're super excited to have Reem Mahmoud. Reem is the co-founder and education lead at Zeka, a community-driven artificial intelligence startup. She's pursuing her PhD at the American University of Beirut in electrical and computer engineering, where her research focuses on personalized machine intelligence with a focus on learning from limited label data. We are super excited to have you. Thank you so much for coming on, Reem. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation, Grace. So how does your story start? How did you first get into tech? So I'm not one of those people who was into technology ever since I was a kid. I was a child who was into many different things. I was the kind of kid who tried everything. I tried doing ballet versus basketball versus the piano, horseback riding, etc. So mm-hmm. I was a kid who was very curious about just doing a bunch of different things. I for example, my husband is someone who grew up being obsessed with technology mm-hmm. and uh, interested in computers and all that stuff. I didn't start off that way. My story started off a bit late, which was kind of in high school when I started covering electromagnetics specifically in physics class. And oh. I was kind of nerdy about it. I really enjoyed the topics that were covered. And there were some cool stuff, some cool phenomena, subhanAllah, that we discussed, like magnetic levitation, one of my favorites, and so many other topics. And so I started reading a lot more about this, and I got to see how these, if you want, scientific foundations were behind many of the technologies that we use. And I started getting really curious about, okay, well, how do these things that I'm using every day and are such a huge part of my life really work? Like, I have no idea, right? I have no idea how these chips are designed or how the software is programmed. And I was curious. And I was at a point where obviously I was thinking, what do I want to major in in university as any kid at that age, uh, grade 11, 12, with so many options out there. I had no one in my family who was an engineer, actually. So it was something kind of that I was exploring on my own. 
And uh, I got really excited about it. And I decided I wanted to pursue a degree in electrical engineering because uh, that's where the, all the fun electronics and energy and stuff that I was into was involved. And from there, I got some interesting stuff actually <laughs> happening in, in the story and the things flowed. So I'm based in Saudi Arabia and I grew up in Saudi and I continued my university studies in Saudi. I was someone who wanted to, for example, go abroad and study abroad. But this was not something that my family was comfortable with for you know, obvious reasons. They wanted me to stay home. Yeah. And so back in the time, which was, I believe, 2011, there were actually no electrical engineering majors available for females in Riyadh, the city that I'm based in. And so my dad started kind of encouraging me to go and do graphic design or something that Fairly, yes. I may say, yeah, exactly. (laughs) He wasn't very thrilled about the idea of electrical engineering because, as I mentioned, we don't have engineers in the family. So for Mm -hmm. him, it was like, what do you do as an electrical engineer? Are you going to go fix devices and go on site? And it wasn't clear that you can do, obviously, like so many different things as an electrical engineer. Yeah. And it was unusual for him as well. So anyways, I got really lucky and the university that I had planned to join actually opened the major the year that I graduated for females. Yeah, subhanAllah. So it just, it so happened. It opened up. I applied. I got accepted. And honestly, I just loved it every step of the way since there. Like I went into it kind of thinking maybe it's not going to be for me. I'll try it out and see how things go. But I really enjoyed it. Like every semester, things just got more and more exciting. <laughs> My nerdy side is coming out right now. So yeah, so this is how this is how it started for me. Mashallah. And just to be like really explicit, when you're talking about how you had a major that was open for females, that's because in Saudi, it's different tracks for different genders. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Thank you for, for actually for asking that. Yes, exactly. So in Saudi, universities are uh, separated for females and males. For example, the university that I had applied to had electrical engineering available for males, but mm-hmm. not females. And so that specific year, they opened up the female section within all the engineering majors. So I was able to join the program. And I was actually... I was the only electrical engineer female in the class. And I stayed that way for four years. It was a lonely, <laughs> it was a lonely experience. But you got but lots was, of attention from your professor, I bet. Yes, yes. <laughs> Honestly, it was it was lonely, but it was like I had all the opportunity in the world to really like learn the material. I got one-on-one labs. Mm. It was it was awesome if you think about it. So yeah. <laughs> it was definitely a nice outcome, alhamdulillah. Yeah, it's really interesting, though, comparing the experiences, especially when you're going into university of women in MENA region and women who are going into university in the West. And it's it's really it's very unique. So we've noticed that in the MENA region, women are really confident in their STEM skills and applying for engineering, applying for maths and physics. Also, I have to say your physics program in your high school sounds way more advanced than mine. Mashallah, we didn't go into electromagnetics. (laughs) I had an awesome teacher. I had an awesome teacher. Mashallah. Yeah. And then, in but women who are studying computer science in the West, we very frequently hear that they are isolated. They're overwhelmed by men in their class. They feel belittled and talked down to. They don't feel included. And now you're having a very different experience being the only woman in this, but getting so much attention just because of that. And do you have any thoughts on like just the differences there? 
Yeah. So I can, so I'll, I'll share, I'll share also some feedback because I moving on from my bachelor, I then joined, I was able to travel for my mm. master's degree to Lebanon where mm. I did my master's and PhD still ongoing PhD at the American University of Beirut. And so commenting on this, this ratio, if you want, for example, at the American University of Beirut, the class is almost 50, 50. Right. In, in, in engineering majors. So yes, definitely this is something that you see in, in the Middle East. Females do get enrolled in, in STEM-related majors heavily, actually. So it's kind of equal, I think. And, and so from the other perspective in my bachelor, the reason was just simply it was a new program. And there were females in engineering, just not in electrical engineering. No, they were mostly in architecture, for example, architectural engineering, industrial engineering, mechanical and electrical were less. And I was... I was the sole electrical engineer, but <laughs> things are now a lot better. So now there are more females enrolled in the program because there's more awareness, specifically in these relatively new majors in KSA in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. So definitely the involvement of females in such majors is there. Not to say that there are no challenges, by the way, like I think, I think the challenges become more internal. It's not that you're shunned or that you feel left out from necessarily others. But I think there's a lot of, at least something that I went through, there's a lot of kind of internal kind of struggle that you go through thinking, I'm not, am I going to get this right? At least something that I used to experience, for example, in the class, boys are always excited. They always throw their hands up and answer questions Mm -hmm. and not afraid of like making mistakes and messing up. On the other hand, for example, it might be a character thing, but I'm more of a perfectionist. If I'm not sure of the answer, I wouldn't raise my hand and answer if I felt like I wasn't qualified 100% to do something, I wouldn't propose that I do it. And I noticed this more common with my female colleagues than, yeah. than my guy colleagues, right? And I read about it actually somewhere. Yeah, this is a documented thing. This is like a confidence. Yeah, yeah. And it carries it, on it, into work as well. Yes, exactly. And I think it was the CEO of Girls Who Code, I believe, who was giving a talk and said something that really stuck with me. And it was that we raise our girls to be perfect and we raise our boys to be brave. And it really resonated with me because I really felt like this is what happens, right? Boys are always excited to throw themselves on any opportunity, just try it out, no fear of messing up versus females are kind of more on the, on the edge and trying you know, to make sure that they do things right and they do things nicely and perfectly and so on and so forth many reasons for for this obviously culturally and the way that we're raised right and so yeah. on and so forth and so yeah so it's definitely an interesting different but yet interesting experience so let's talk about saka so what inspired you to get started with that especially while you're doing your phd so mashallah it seems like you're doing a lot of things at the same time yes so so zaka is just to give a bit of context it's a focused on democratizing artificial intelligence as a technology specifically in the Middle East and North African region, as well as globally. But the focus in the region is simply because it's our team is based in the region. And we believe that the region needs a lot more awareness on emerging technologies, such as our focus, which is artificial intelligence. And Zeka came along in my journey a lot later down the path, obviously, since my bachelor. So around two years ago, if you want, I was already in my PhD program. I had been working in AI for a few years from my master's and the start of my PhD as well. And I got involved in a local NGO in Lebanon where I met my uh, co-founders today. 
And the NGO in Lebanon was basically focused on um, just doing educational campaigns, uh, workshops, so on and so forth, just to introduce people to artificial intelligence as a technology. Mm -hmm. And we felt like this is something that's really needed, not just in Lebanon, but all across the region. And so we took this concept and we started Zeka. And now we've been doing a lot in terms of education and we're focusing on education because it's obviously the foundation of raising awareness, enabling people and being able to understand, communicate and use the technology that we're focusing on. And so given that opportunity came up, I just got into it. It was a coincidence, really. And so definitely it's, it's been quite a juggle with the PhD, but it just so happened. And it was definitely an opportunity I was excited to jump towards, especially education is something that I'm also passionate about other than just technology. So it was kind of like a perfect fit. And we've been, uh, since then, we've been doing a lot of uh, fun stuff, a lot of impact in programs that are helping people find jobs in the region. We want to bring it full circle, right? We don't want to just teach you, but we want to be able to have you reach the target or the goal that you're looking to achieve, whether that be it you finding a job in the AI field as an AI engineer or an ML engineer, data scientist, et cetera, or maybe you want to launch your own startup using this technology. Uh, maybe you already have a job and you want to get a promotion by pitching a new product at your company that involves AI. So we're really trying to cater to being able to give people the skills they need in this technology and at the same time, reach the goals that they have for themselves. Masha, that's wonderful. Uh, that's Thank really, you. really exciting and such good rewarding work. Inshallah, um, yeah. yeah, inshallah. So you're talking about bringing it full circle. Do you see any applications with maybe the work that you're doing or the work that people are going through Zeka in using AI machine learning to benefit underserved communities? Yes, so going back, I mentioned, right, we're focusing on the Middle East and North African region. Yeah. And I think with technology such as AI, obviously, for those of us who have been maybe reading just about this technology and kind of some recent advancements, we know that the biggest players are obviously giant tech firms mm -hmm. who are not necessarily based in our region and don't even have, if you want, development happening in, in Middle East, right? So most of them, on the most part, if you want, would have kind of sales teams in the Middle East, but not necessarily development happening here. Now things are kind of changing a bit, right? And I'll give, I can give some examples, but up until a few years, this technology was not being developed for us, our region, by our people, right? Which is important. Just as an example, you can talk about AI as a virtual assistants, right? For instance, like your, your Siri, your Google assistant, they were not able to communicate in Arabic obviously, because there wasn't any development ha happening specifically for the region. This is different now. This has happened. And so this is where I see kind of Zeka's impact in terms of, I don't want to say necessarily that our whole region is underserved, but our region is underrepresented in the development of this technology and how it's being evolved, right? And if we want this technology to serve us for our specific cultures, our specific needs, no one can do it better than us, right? Yeah. So this is this is what we're trying to achieve. Upskill the people so that they can bring solutions to their own problems. It's not the same as someone who's working in the US trying to solve a problem that's, for example, faced in, in Saudi. You won't have as much in-depth understanding of the situation. You won't understand the culture that you're working with, so on and so forth. And so 
this is where I see kind of the, if you want, the value of making sure that locals are gaining the skills to be able to be involved in the development of this technology as it's shaping our lives. Yeah. Absolutely. There's lots of really interesting discussions on how implicit bias gets introduced into tech. 100%. Yeah. Either you know, intentionally or totally unintentionally. The biggest reason why it happens is because the development teams are homogenous. They don't have representation of people in different areas. You know, I think the example that comes to the top of my mind is how facial recognition couldn't see darker skin tones just because they didn't have any non-white people on the development team. Exactly. Yeah. So it's really important if tech isn't, if we're not included in building the tech, it's going to be built without us and will not include us. Exactly. Uh, the ramifications for that, especially in AI and machine learning is huge because it'll just keep building upon that bias. For sure. For sure. There's the aspect of the bias, right? And what we're trying to do obviously reaches the individuals who are capable of being involved in the process mm -hmm. and we're just giving them the skills. But sadly, in, in, in our region, there are many, many populations, I should say, that don't even have the opportunity to participate, yeah. right? Due to, of course, financial crises or incompetent situations, no access to internet, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So the population that's actually able to contribute and hopefully be able to present the rest you know, of the region that doesn't have necessarily access to, to build its own representation, if you want. You mentioned... One of the biggest challenge of getting people involved is incompetencies or lack of infrastructure. And I'm thinking, especially in terms of Lebanon in the last couple of years, has that been a big challenge for Zaka? It has definitely been a challenge. So for us specifically, if you want, as, as a startup, we we have been lucky because we we already initiated ourselves as a remote company. Uh -huh. And even though the situation in Lebanon is quite challenging our team has been lucky enough to be able to find ways to continue working right but many people you know don't have that privilege sadly so as as a startup we were built in a way that that made us a bit more resilient to what happened given that we were remote and we were doing our programs online already so we kind mm -hmm. of were able to access the region instead of just the, the local market so we were able to still continue with our work and our impact but definitely speaking of our audience in Lebanon definitely the, the situation is a challenge so people as I mentioned some people can get by right they can find ways to continue their work others sadly don't have don't have that opportunity but we definitely we saw this a lot even with just simply our programs so we had students or participants in our programs who were not able to keep up because of lack of electricity not able to join meetings, so on and so forth. So just very simple examples, right, of the limitations and access that they can have due to the, the situation. Yeah, inshallah, it gets easier. Hopefully. Yeah. Inshallah. Inshallah. We, the last interview before this one, we were talking to Manara, who focuses on Gaza, and they were talking about the infrastructure challenges as well. And I think the underlining thing about the people working in tech in, in this region, so the whole MENA region, is just this abundance of resilience where you can have a, a situation where you have really awful infrastructure, but you're still yeah. learning and you're still doing your best to participate in these programs and go on to have a remote job anyway. 
yes yes it's it's incredible what human nature can do right and mm. and the strength that the person can be given i mean i i'm currently not located in lebanon anymore i mm. was for for quite some time so i was there when the financial crisis hit for a couple of years actually i recently relocated back to to saudi lucky enough to be able to do that right most of my friends were not able to do that you really get to see <laughs> the challenges or understand really how challenging the situation is once you um, leave right and you realize wait a second electricity is not a privilege internet is not a privilege versus you're living your life every day waiting for those things to get access to that for the rest of the world are just readily available and things that you don't have, you don't have to think you about, don't think about for, it for you exactly for you they're kind of overhead i have to worry about when i'm able to do the task uh, because i'm not even able to charge my laptop etc so definitely definitely a huge challenge for lebanon obviously gaza and many many other countries sadly in in our region So maybe a shifting to a more uplifting note. What is your hopes? <laughs> What what's your the big dream for Zaka? What do you really hope to achieve with it? So the mission statement, right? The mission statement is to be able to enable everyone to use and apply artificial intelligence for whatever their purpose is. And if I were to say the vision is kind of being able to lead this industrial revolution really in our region being able to lead it in what sense in the sense of enabling businesses individuals to adopt this technology understand it right it doesn't mean I, i don't necessarily mean we need everyone to become an ai engineer right but i do i do believe that everyone needs to to some extent understand this technology right just just as how today everyone is able to open up a computer and work with it you don't necessarily to be have to be a programmer but you need to have some sort of computer literacy in today's world i do believe that having this literacy in artificial intelligence is important because it will be a technology and it is actually it is and will continue to be, to be a technology that's touching all of our lives and we need to be able to understand how it's doing the things it's doing how it can be affecting us how it can be perhaps making things doing things that are correct or incorrect etc just to be able to have awareness of how to use the technology properly right mm -hmm. And so going back again, I, I deviated a bit, <laughs> but being able to, to lead this industry revolution in the region through our main efforts, which are really the awareness side of things to enable the, the communities to actually build their own solutions, mm -hmm. build their own infrastructure and be able to provide for the region's needs. And so this is kind of like as, as a big picture And I mentioned communities because this is something that we really, we really care about at Zaka. I mentioned full circle for our graduates. We, we're really not a training company. That's not, that's not what we are, right? We don't just train you and send you off into the world. We want to make sure that you're able to achieve your goal. And so having you stay connected with us is very important for us and thus the community element. And so we're working on pushing this as much as possible. Uh, this year should be a big year for us because we're kind of shifting the way we do things into pushing this community element a lot more in our in our company. Being able to also leverage our graduates and our community to support one another because that's obviously the the notion of community after all. Being able to leverage the power of all for one and one for all. So, so yeah, this is kind of the, the big picture and we're getting there step by step. Obviously with startups, things change 
very quickly and there's a lot happening. I don't know necessarily where or what we're going to be doing two years from now, but as long as it gets us to, to being able to make an impact in the final goal of enabling our community to be able to build these solutions for their own. I, that would be really exciting. And I can't wait to hear more updates on how you're doing with that. I think with Thank you. the community aspect is such like a, a crucial step in that. And it'll be really exciting to see that develop. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah inshallah. 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 That's, that's the plan. That's yeah. the plan. So Reem, what is something that you're most proud of? It could be in your tech career or just in general. And why is it really special to you? That's a reflection that's question. A tough question. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not actually not a tough question. I when it comes to my proudest moments or my biggest regrets, I'm not someone who's who's I don't like to be absolute about things mm-hmm. in my life. And so I find it really hard to pick a moment. I if I if I should, I don't wanna <laughs> I don't wanna turn this into a philosophical kind of session, but <laughs> if I should kind of uh, answer the question in a way, I would say my my pride goes into how I see myself grow over the years and continue to do that. And so obviously I've done a lot of things that I'm proud of as kind of achievements. I don't have necessarily one one aspect that stuck with me. There's a lot of things that I did that were hard. I didn't get support in. I had a lot of doubts from my family uh, going through it and I was able to achieve it. I'm very proud that I was able to do that. I never thought, for example, that I'd be you know, pursuing a PhD degree and having a company. And I recently became a mom, which is the most precious thing in the world. So I never imagined I'd be able to do those things. And somehow things came together, subhanAllah, again, and these things came to me. And I think just for me, I'm proud of how I'm able to somehow, honestly, I don't know how, how I do it or how anyone does it, but somehow be able to keep up with the changes that come in life. So for example, being someone who was a PhD student, getting married, that was a huge change that happened to my life. And I was able to persistently maintain what I was doing with my PhD and yet be a wife at home. And then now my role as a mother. So being able to add up these roles, these new roles that I'm getting in life and continue to do things that I enjoy and I'm proud of. So I think this is kind of the idea for me that, or this is the thing that makes me most proud of of what I'm doing, honestly. I think that's a really beautiful way of answering the question. Thank you. The best thing to be proud of is is your growth and how you're evolving as a person. Mashallah. I think it's underestimated, right? And mm. and it all goes back to being able to or really taking the time to self-reflect. And I think mm-hmm. many of us are really hard on ourselves, uh, myself included. I mean, I'm not saying I, I don't go through that, feeling like I'm not doing things uh, the way I want to necessarily. I'm not perfecting things, but really like there's a lot that happens in life and being able to handle everything and do it well enough is it's just good enough, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And that's that's a huge achievement while obviously being able to handle everything. Right. If you think about it, every person has so many different roles from Mm -hmm. a daughter to maybe a sister, a granddaughter, etc. Like there are so many things that you're trying to do in life. And so uh, being able to maintain them and grow in time, no matter how much you're growing, you might think you're having a slow pace, you're not doing enough, or you compare yourself to others, et cetera. 
the reflecting back on your, your own timeline, I think, is, is the most important and will really allow you to see what you're doing under new light as opposed to looking to others and comparing your progress and your achievements and what you're doing in life. Yeah, for my own personal bit on that, I find it really helpful to, to document those things that I'm keeping a journal, different hopes and dreams that I have for each year and how I'm progressing and what kind of goals I'm achieving, but also documenting the duas that I'm making, especially at the start of Ramadan. And then if I go back each Ramadan, I can see there was actually like a real progress in each thing that I did. It really helps building up tawakkul on yeah, whatever, whatever is happening. It might feel like a delay, but it's bringing me a lot closer to where I want to be in a way that I couldn't have predicted. And that's really the whole point of Dua, isn't it? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I totally agree. Just being able to completely and utterly kind of just believe that whatever is meant for you will come and mm -hmm. not take the small hiccups too harshly and really be able to appreciate, right? I think being able to appreciate where you are and be grateful because sometimes we lose track of, where we are now with the little things that are happening around us. And we don't realize that we're actually in a place that we maybe hoped we, we yes. would be. And you, you kind of lose track of these things. And so it's really nice. You mentioned being able to write down and keep track, note of these things. I think it's very important to be able to remind you of how far you've come and how maybe today you're in a place where you, 10 years ago, you've always dreamed to be. And so, yes, I definitely agree. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. And so now the flip side of that is what is something that you regret? We kind of touched on this a little bit, but maybe is there something in your journey that you kind of wish that you had approached differently? I'm going to start the answer similarly as before. Yeah, I think, of course. You yeah. know, sim similar to that, I'm not an absolute person, but more specifically, I really, really try. I try. Okay. <laughs> I'm not perfect. I try not to regret anything that I do. Yeah. For the sole purpose that I just said, which is like really believing that whatever decision I take that I might think is a wrong decision or something that I wish I didn't do, really, really, I've been in so many situations in my life where I realized that that poor decision or what I thought was a poor decision really brought me someplace that I never expected, right? And so mm -hmm. there are many things, right, <laughs> that I think <laughs> I could have probably done in or done a decision making process better usually like the mm -hmm. way I take my decisions I always try to improve my decision making process just to give small examples like where I choose to dedicate my time mm -hmm. I'm a huge advocate that time is really your most precious asset and so where you choose to dedicate your time is very important and I'm someone who up until very recently was very open in distributing my time uh, uh motherhood yes shut that down everything. i bet yeah <laughs> uh, i mean it definitely definitely really well obviously due to the high scarcity of my time yeah. nowadays, <laughs> i really need to pick what i do very very intelligently mm -hmm. and it kind of obviously made this a lot more prominent but just even before i became a mom just thinking about really like being able to just not say yes to everything mm -hmm. right and not put my time in places that are not necessarily taking me where I want to be and I'm specifically talking career-wise right and so that's something I maybe have liked to be aware of at an earlier stage in my life and be aware of where I'm dedicating my time and not really 
not not just jump on every single opportunity even though i don't regret it because i really learned so much from everything that i did even if it wasn't necessarily the outcome that i that i hoped for and so maybe if it's if i have to pick something i would say just being more aware of how i how i spend my time and how i allow people also to reserve my time right and take out from from my time and energy in things that are not necessarily bringing me to the goals and targets that i have for for myself and my career yeah marshall i think that's a very reasonable thing and i just want to point out that for you to do a phd candidacy to be a startup founder and to be a mom those are like the and also a wife and these are humongous time draws and commitments that we're talking about <laughs> so it's <Yeah>. nothing trivial <laughs> no nothing trivial honestly i did not yeah i did not expect motherhood to be this time consuming <laughs> i mean i knew it right we all know it you don't we know it until know. you're in it yeah 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 it's it's but i mean obviously it's lovely it's just it's really a very different very different life and so it's I'm still obviously in it, right? My daughter is only five months. I have not had time to, <laughs> to fully adjust yet. But really, it takes reshaping who you are. I think to be able to kind of continue doing the things that you want to do from a new perspective, even your work ethic being different. Like, like I just said, right? My time is so much more scarce than it was before. I need to be, you know, so much more efficient with whatever time I have left. And so I'm really kind of like now through a phase of kind of rehabilitation where I'm like revisiting all <laughs> the ways I have to all the ways I used to do my work the way I used to organize my tasks my productivity system if I should say etc and even the things that I do and the things I'm involved in so I had mm-hmm. to kind of drop out of things because I felt like what this is not a priority right now I don't have time for this it's time for me to step away being okay with that I am not someone who was okay with that at all right mm-hmm. and I know that many people struggle with this So, so yeah, this, this has been, it has been quite a learning journey as well. It teaches you a lot being a mother. You'd think you'd be the one teaching, but (laughs) so far I've been the one learning in the process. (laughs) She can't even talk yet. And she's teaching me things, Marshall. (laughs) So much. Yes. Patience, time management, a lot of valuable, valuable traits. And it'll keep evolving as she grows older. The rule changes. That never stops. (laughs) Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. And I just wanted to say, like, it, to reemphasize, it is totally okay to reevaluate all the commitments that we have going on and to evaluate how Definitely. important they are in our life right now and to drop the things that don't, aren't as important. You know, exactly. the, the priorities change as life goes on and, and as we evolve as people. Yes. And that's a very priorities change, right? And being able to accept that your priorities change mm-hmm. is, is not easy. But being aware of it is important, right? I mean, for example, prior to getting married, I was someone who was fully dedicated to my studies and my career. And I got, I I went through a period during my PhD and a PhD is is demanding, Mm -hmm. but I went through a period where I, I had to make a choice in how I spent my time. And I knew that, for example, no, like I had a different priority right now where I don't want to choose to spend my my nights working all all day every day which is what I used to do before right like Mm -hmm. that wasn't my priority anymore and I had to kind of eliminate hours that were dedicated to my studies because now I had a different priority of being available with my partner and now as a mom likewise I have a new priority that will again 
um, help me revisit how how I distribute my time in the day. So being aware of this and being okay with this change is, is very important. Mm-hmm. And I think society doesn't really doesn't support or promote this, especially for women, right? And so it's important for us to I have to do everything support, at the same time. Support ourselves. Yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> honestly, I I mean, I'm lucky enough to be able to, as I mentioned, Zeka's remote, so I'm lucky enough to be able to do things from home. But I thinking of how women are expected to go back to office, for example, after a few weeks, like yeah, yeah. it's unreal. It's unreal. I don't know how society has such expectations. Subhanallah. So the last question, and I think this is going to go very high level abstract like the other two, but what's something that you're very grateful for? So person, a thing, a concept. So in the context of what, in the context of you know, us being here today, I'm obviously grateful for most prominently my faith, honestly, because I believe having having this faith really got me through so much it's it's really right i'm most proud of how i've grown over the time and i think the foundation behind my growth has been has been my faith as i believe is for everyone like really i think faith is the foundation of how you evolve as a person who you are as a person and and all that and so that's for me the foundation of everything in life and who you are with your family with your friends as a colleague being able to accept failures because that's not necessarily you know that's not the purpose of life right and being okay with the journey that is that is really rich in the stuff that happened along it but not necessarily the end goal right the end goal is not to end up being the CEO of a tech giant or the richest person on the planet, at least for me, that's not, that's not my, my end goal. Right. So that's been something that's definitely something I'm most grateful for. My father is someone who I'm very grateful for because he, my father and I had kind of an interesting, interesting change in, in our relationship over time. And so even though he was someone who starting off, for example, in my tech journey, found what I was doing very odd and not necessarily conventional for a female. He is today one of my biggest supporters and he's so proud of what I'm doing. And he's you know, always encouraging me to do more, which is very unlike where things were 10 years ago, let's say. So he really supported me a lot along the journey. And aside from the support, he's really someone who I look up to as a role model of how he carries out his life and how he's able to manage all the different elements in his life so elegantly. And so he's someone that I really look up to as a, as a role model. Well, mashallah, may Allah reward your father and your family for going through all that with you and for Thank evolving you. that relationship. Your family for you as well. Uh, I mean, yes, yes, alhamdulillah. I'm grateful for that. Alhamdulillah. Is there anything that we left out or didn't cover or any last words that you'd like to add? I want to thank you for for having me here. I really enjoyed our conversation. I really hope that my journey can be something that someone out there finds they can reflect upon and benefit from and bring them some ease. Honestly, I think for me, some of the biggest challenges I had was just simply not not sharing what I was going through Mm -hmm. and not having someone to, to kind of reflect with and who understood what I was going through or so I thought, right? Because I wasn't sharing. And so I really believe that being able to share will hopefully have someone out there kind of see that, oh, I'm not the only one going through this. This is normal and not, not to be too hard on yourself and to really 
kind of embrace all the aspects that go uh, and come through in your life and be able to grow above it and share your story as well so that others can benefit and so on and so forth. So thank you for giving me this opportunity. Oh, likewise, Marshall. That's you know, the whole reason why we're here. So I'm just very happy that you decided yes. to share your story and I'm very happy that- It's my pleasure. And thank you so much for taking the time to listen to today's story. If you liked it, please consider following us and leaving a review or share this episode with your friends. All of those really help Tech Sisters grow and help more women to discover these amazing stories. If you are a Muslim woman in tech, please go ahead and join our community. It's free, it's fun, and really supportive. And we have a great time. And remember, look out for the community health report if you're interested in learning more about Tech Sisters and really getting into the data of the community. <laughs> And, uh, and yeah, that's all for me. I'll see you next week with the last episode of this season. Assalamu alaikum.